Hey, this is Nicole. Um, I am trying to do something a little different with this podcast. This actually is an intro, uh, intro podcast and a promotion podcast. So um, I was invited to be one of the speakers for the new OARise.org. Um, which comes out of central Oregon. I think it is actually the birth child of Trish. I don't know if she'd want me to tell you that, but I want to toot her horn because uh, this is definitely her baby. She couldn't do it without support, of course, as could none of us, but it's her brainchild. And um, so oarise.org, twice a month, they have speakers um, from one to four, Uh, come in and on various subjects and it's also a uh, sort of fundraiser for um, world service office so uh, it does pitch for seven traditions and then the money that is left over after paying solely for expenses it goes is uh, donated directly to world service So um, not only do you get great recovery, uh, but you also get to financially support through your contributions, um, our world service office. So uh, anyway, I was invited uh, to lead one of those. And whenever it's virtual, I love to share the stage. And so I did, I got to share it with Stacy and Megan, um, who you have heard on this podcast with me. So not only do I think it's awesome that I get to promote the OA Rise uh, website um, here, but um, I'm also going to include the uh, talks from that Sunday. And I will put the links in the window or in the uh, this podcast description and I may upload them individually I haven't decided maybe I'll do this intro with each one and yeah maybe I'll do that I'll do this intro and before each one and I will just really encourage you to check out the oarise.org because uh, Trish and Sherry um and whomever, I don't know everyone on the team, but I know that uh, they are working very hard um, to put this together and to bring in speakers from all over. So uh, that's my intro and hopefully it wasn't too long. And so this will be the intro to, well, I can't say which one because I'm gonna use the same intro for each. So this will be the intro to one part of the workshop that happened on uh, November, I think it was 14th, and it the workshop was called Refresher for the Holidays, and we uh, went over steps one, two, and three. So thank you, and good day. I'm set. The recording has re- has restarted and you can t- resume. Thank you so okay, much. Okay, do you want me to do any, um, how about before I begin, uh, a little reminder that our seven tradition, we are self-supporting through our own contributions. Uh, contributions can be made by PayPal to our email address, info at oarise.org. Uh, and there is also a contribute now button at oarise.org. Um, If anyone has recently joined, please make sure that the name that you have uh, signed in with is the name that it's okay for us to say this is being recorded. Um, And were there any other, uh, Sherry or Trish, were there any other little uh, house? Thank you. I, I think you got it. You mentioned the seventh tradition, which is uh, helpful for us to cover our expenses. So we're good. Thank you. Okay, great. So thank you for 52 people have stayed on. That's pretty amazing. This is, you know, this, this is the third hour. Okay, so I would like to take a moment to 
just ask that um, I be of service to this meeting um, and that whatever I say is of benefit to you um, and not necessarily my personal agenda. Uh, I do want to say that uh, speaking is always a very vulnerable experience for me because I try to, that's what I actually try to do is to actually be vulnerable and tell the truth. Um, and uh, I also want to take an opportunity before I start speaking so I don't forget uh, to thank uh, Sherry and Trish and anyone else behind the scenes uh, for putting this together, this OA Rise, it's really amazing. And I don't know, I just feel really blessed that I know you both. Um, so my part is step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood God, which is how um, I like to say it. Uh, I think I've, I've thought a lot about this. I, I'm not someone who writes an outline or writes notes. I just sort of think about it and pray about it and then trust, you know, that whatever I say on the day is all that I need to say. Um, so the first thing that kind of uh, comes to mind is uh, something a little, I don't know if it's a parable or what it's called, but it's pretty popular in the rooms, which is, you know, three frogs are sitting on a log and one of them makes a decision to jump. How many frogs are left on the log? And the answer is three, because the one that made the de decided to jump just decided to jump. So making a decision is something that happens. Uh, Earl H likes to say you can make a you can do steps one, two, and three on the couch, you know. Um, and so what really comes up for me is is that you know there's making a decision, and then there's the embodiment of that decision. And um, we all have uh, our wounds. And the shape of my wound was, is that I grew up with people who thought love was a concept or a feeling. Um, and so I was very secure in the fact that people loved me, but their actions did not actually reflect what love is. Um, and so it really was through the dis discipline of recovery that I learned that making a decision is actually only the first part of this extension into action. So, for example, if you're new in the rooms, brand new, and you're like, how do I know if I've taken step three? Um, what was said to me is, you know that you've taken step three when you start doing steps four through nine. You know, that's how you know that you've taken step three. Otherwise, you're still in step three. You're not, you haven't really, you know, put into action any of your decisions. Um, and so I really want to focus my piece on how... I know every day that I am making a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand God. Um, so that's kind of going to be the focus of my talk. Uh, like a super, super quick sketch, you know, of my story that um, I, I have to admit I'm really bored of is, uh, you know, I, was a little kid. I was normal weight. I loved sugar, um, did a lot of crazy stuff to get sugar, but I was such a hyperactive little kid that, you know, um, it didn't really show, uh, my candy obsession, you know, just in the seventies passed for normal. Uh, and then, uh, puberty hit. I was not ready for puberty. Um, I'm a survivor of different, uh, forms of abuse and, so when all of a sudden uh, my body became sexualized, I, I just was like, no, we're not doing that. And, uh, and that's when I gained a lot of weight as a way to desexualize my body and take up a lot of space. 
Um, I did a little bit of dieting, but not really. Um, I maybe did a few years of it. Uh, and then I hit a place where I just thought I was going to be fat the rest of my life. And that was just what I thought. And uh, I went into another program where I got to deal with um, being an adult child of uh, two alcoholic parents. And that's where my recovery uh, started. And then by the time I hit OA, it was like my fourth program. I had no idea what OA was. And it's the only 12-step meeting that the very first meeting I cried. Um, and I am, uh, it's, I, I'm not a crier. Uh, it's taken a lot of years of recovery and therapy to get to a place where I actually get weepy and cry. So for me to cry at a 12 step meeting at the time was a really big deal. And part of it was um, that profound feeling of identification that other people felt the way that I felt about food and about my body and my body image dysmorphia. But the tears were also this sort of fear about let, having to let go of my best friend. So, um, so that was in 1998. I had, um, uh, I lost the weight slowly, by the way. So if that's your experience, that was mine. I lost about 10 pounds every two years. Uh, it had for me a lot to do with adjusting being in a smaller body and feeling safe in a smaller body. I was abstinent. It was just losing the weight was very slow. Um, and then, uh, when I lost all the weight, I, uh, had some trauma memories come up and that really questions my faith. And I had to hit, uh, that was my first major relapse. And, um, I hit a deeper level of recovery and program and it sort of forced, uh, a deeper understanding of steps one, two, and three. It also, uh, forced me or I chose to um, get an AA sponsor to sponsor me in OA in a very old school AA way. And so um, that's when I started identifying as a sugar addict and a bulimic. And I started going, so even though I was an OA person, um, my uh, because of my sponsor, I was going to open AA meetings and I was learning a lot of the tools of uh, AA and listening to a lot of the AA speakers. So my OA program has a very, very strong AA foundation. Um, and then in, I think it was 2013 or whatever, I had my second major relapse, which was uh, a shame-based relapse where I um, sabotaged my own recovery and um, and I now sort of do workshops on shame. Uh, so uh, I think I have six years now. I, I'm to be honest, I don't I don't remember. Um, it, it's in my phone somewhere. I think I've my dates. Uh, yeah, actually, I think it's because I think it's 2014. Um, so anyway, so that's a little bit of a sketch for me. So. From that first major relapse in 2006 um, is when I really hit a real deep level of step three. And for me, because of what was happening and because of the emotional pain that I was in, my that is when I really got concrete on that my higher power was the process of recovery. And that that's what I believed in. Now, it didn't mean that I didn't believe in something else or something more. But that was the aspect of my higher power that I didn't have any doubt. There was no questioning it. There was no nothing. It was solid foundation for me. So... I love theology and I love to discuss theology and I love whatever. And, and I, I still love to do that. Um, but my program is sort of like old math. It's like one plus one equals two every day. And so there are certain aspects of my recovery program that the tools that 
and, and engaging in the process of recovery that for me are so concrete that they're like math. If I do these things, comma, then my life gets better. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's pretty straightforward. If I do these things, then I am in the process of recovery and I am moving towards or maintaining abstinence. So, um, so in that sense, I don't get very theoretical about step three or I don't get very discursive about it. I get very um, concrete, action-based. What am I doing today that demonstrates that I have taken the third step. Now, like I said, in the very beginning of recovery, you know, doing my, doing four, five, six, seven, and eight, nine, and then of course, progress 10, 11, 12 was a demonstration that I had taken the third step. But I think I'm, I celebrated 27 years uh, in October. And now my life is such that Instead of just looking at, am I going to meetings and am I doing step work? I actually look at my life every day as, am I living a life in recovery today? And so that comes with some daily practices. I like someone earlier that said, I'm not going to be able to quote her particularly, but that I'm a sum of my habits. You know what I mean? And that basically... For me, the third step is a sum of my behaviors. So I'll just go through them um, uh, to the best of my ability uh, since I didn't write them down. But for example, first thing in the morning, um, I and again, I also anything I say that sounds wise in any way or has any sort of clarity to it. Anyway, I heard in a meeting. This is what collective consciousness is. This is how we get this collective wisdom. So anything that sounds asinine or sketchy or dumb, that's I'll take credit for that because um, that's probably my ego and my disease getting in the way of my articulation. But anyway, so um, most, I think pretty much all of what I'm going to share with you uh, I got direction from someone else or I heard someone else do it. And then I've cobbled together um, a program of recovery that every day demonstrates that I am taking the third step. So first and foremost, something that I learned was to roll out of bed onto my knees. Um, and that once I'm down there to do the third step prayer. So I want to dilate on that for just a little bit. So I didn't used to do the third step prayer um, for all the reasons that uh, Stacy mentioned. Um, I had a lot of resistance towards the God thing, towards any of that. Um, for people who are tracking, um, I'm a pagan Buddhist, New Thought, Christian, Jew, part-time Hindu, Muslim. I'm technically, uh, by definition, I'm technically an atheist. Uh, because I don't believe in ethical monotheism. However, I do believe in something divine, mysterious, and beautiful. And that's as far as I'm able, I'm willing to define it. Basically, I believe in love and anything that's less than loving um, is, is really not uh, God to me. So, um, so anyway, so I didn't used to do the third step prayer and I certainly didn't used to pray and I sure as hell didn't used to pray on my knees. And during that first major relapse, um, I was in such a place of desperation. And again, I had this AA sponsor who had graciously agreed to sponsor me in OA, give me directions. And I, for the first time, Miss Rebellious, don't tell me what to do, was just always just said yes to her. I just, if she even knew what was going on in my mind, she'd be so hurt and offended. But when she gave me directions, instead of saying like the thoughts that were in my head, which were my disease, like resistance thoughts, my desperate loving, like, you need to save your ass here, sister, thoughts would, voice would come out and just say, yes, 
I just, I mean, I cannot tell you how many things she would ask me to do that my brain would want to say something and I'd have to intervene on my own behalf and be like, shut up, you're killing us. And then what came out of my mouth was like, of course I'll do that, you know, or yes, that sounds wonderful. I'd love to do that. I mean, it was ridiculous, but she said that I had to pray on my knees and I had to pray out loud. And I have to tell you that having done that the first time at the age of 36 was weird. It was like, I cannot tell you, I did, I was not, I think it was just weird. And I just was like, man, I mean, talk about, because I was not raised in a church. I was not, I mean, my, my family is Catholic, but my dad was atheist. And I mean, it was just like, so their agreement was like hands off. And so for me to be on my hands and knees, like praying out loud, that for me was such a demonstration of talk is cheap that it's one thing to walk around and be like oh yeah I believe it's something oh yeah it's like and and then when you're asked to do something whatever it is that embodies your belief in something like you have to show up and actually demonstrate I'm trying no one's in the room with me you know what I mean I'm the only one in that room but I'm on my knees about to do a prayer and it's either like, okay, I am either a crazy person on my knees talking out loud to nothing, or I'm a person of faith setting an intention and connecting to a power greater than myself. And I decided to be a person of faith that was connecting to a power greater than myself. Now I'm going to share some, some insights for me. Some people had a really easy time with this stuff. I did not have an easy time with this stuff. So I am going to just share my experience around this. So first of all, third step prayer, the language killed me. I was like, no, no. I mean, so much thou and wilt and he, I was just like, this was painful. And and so I had to work so hard around it. And I wasn't allowed to change the words. I wasn't allowed to like, I was like, I had to say the third step prayer as it was written out loud. I was like, oh God, you're killing me. So what I did was, is I took each line and I, I wasn't allowed to change the words, but I could think about what it meant. And so for, and so one of the things that I called myself on when I was having to do this homework assignment that was killing me was I was like, I remember being in a meeting and struggling with like, oh my God, this, I'm, you know, this week I'm going to have to do the third step prayer. How am I going to do this? And then I made fun of myself because I was like, you know what, Nicole, if this was some sort of Apache prayer or Saskatchewan prayer or a Loney prayer or Mohawk prayer or some sort of indigenous culture prayer with language that you didn't even understand, you would be so into that. You know what I mean? Like, so it just brought out the hypocrisy around that, you know, ancient prayers, as long as they're in some language that I don't understand or, or from some sort of romanticized culture that I would totally say out loud. And so what that did for me is it one, it, it called me on my, my BS and it gave me a frame up and it was like, why don't you think of this third step prayer that's in the big book as the prayer of your ancestors? Because guess what? It is. So all of a sudden that completely shifted the frame for me. Like, oh, okay. I can stop arguing with this language that whether I like or don't like, and instead I can think of the, this is the prayer that Dr. Bob and Bill W and the first 100 said, and because of them and because of the beginning of the AA program, I have a chance to have a life today through several 12 step programs. So I'm going to actually get on my hands and knees and say, the prayer of my ancestors. And 
when I, and so that really helped that create a huge, not just a willingness, but a like, oh, I can totally sign up for that. Then the other thing that I had to do was I took each line of the prayer, like, you know, and including the first word God, and then I offer myself to the, like each line, and I had to write what that meant to me so that I couldn't, I wasn't allowed to just parrot the words of the prayer. I had to actually mean the prayer. So for example, for me, the first word God, I was like, right away, I'm like stuck. So I just changed. Now in AA, they often talk about God as group of drunks. And I was like, oh, that's a great acronym. Doesn't really apply to me. And so I changed it to group of dames. You know what I mean? And I thought that was awesome. So I wrote God. And then next to it, I wrote group of dames. And then it said, I offer myself to thee. Now, I had to take that line and I thought, okay, what I like about that line is I have free will. I absolutely believe in that concept. I have a choice. No one is making me do this. I'm the one that is agreeing to offer myself to sign up for recovery. And I that was really important to me that I'm not um, an automaton. I'm not a marionette. Like I am my own person and I have a lot of self-will and you know what? I get to use that to make this decision and to offer myself to this group, to these group of women and just be like, teach me your ways, you know? And, and again, go, I'm not going to go through the whole prayer. I offer myself to thee to build with me and do with me as thou wilt. I really liked that idea. You know what I mean? Like I'm joining this program of recovery with all of these at the time it was all of these women and I'm going to agree to their agenda of recovering and being a a safe space for other people to come. Like I'm going to, I'm going there and I'm offering my services. I'm offering everything. And then it goes on and, you know, may I do thy will, thy power, thy way of life. And I liked that. Like, I'm basically joining a team, you know, as Stacy said, like the love team. And I'm like, I want to put aside my personal private agenda. And I'm going to sign up for the love team. And I want to know whatever the love team's agenda is, sign me up for that. Like, I want to contribute my resources, my intelligence, my time, and my energy to being part of the solution here and to help heal the, the, the effects of this disease. Like, so in the morning, when I roll onto my knees and I do the third step prayer for me, that's every morning saying, I am a member of the love team and I choose to live in recovery today. And for me to, to embody that decision is how I start my day. Now, the other thing I do, because Um, And again, this is me. Take what you like and leave the rest. I'm just talking about how I take the decision and I turn it into an action, which demonstrates to myself and to the world that I've actually made a decision. You know what I mean? And so I really kind of want to dilate on that for just a second. If if you decide that you want to call me to connect with me, to ask me how I'm doing, to see, to check in. If you make that decision and never pick up the phone and call me, that thought has no impact on me at all. I mean, it's just absolutely useless to me. So it's really how you take that that impulse and you extend it into an action that I realized that you made that decision. And then when you call, like if you have the thought, oh, I should call Nicole and see how she's doing and and find out what's going on in her life. You know, if you have that thought and then you call me, I get to feel that you made the decision to connect to me and reach out and and reap the benefits of that. So again, uh, now, so I do the third step prayer first thing. Now, what I choose to do is uh, because I have a very hyperactive mind that would love to start problem solving right away, um, I instead in the first in the morning put on my favorite speaker, 
uh, Father Terry. Now, for some people, it could be uh, a music or it could be a yoga or it could be um, a certain song or whatever, but just something that, so I, or, you know, some people would be waking up and going right into a meeting. The point is, is that I don't want my brain unattended. Like, I want my brain to remember that, you know, we're in the solution today. So sometimes during the night, I have stressful dreams, or I have anxiety, or I wake up and I want to just immediately get into work, or I want to immediately. So for me to spend about 15 or 20 minutes while I'm getting ready, listening to something recovery focused is a really good way to set my day. So that's, that's, that's another thing I do that sort of demonstrates or reinforces like, okay, we're actually starting this day from a place of being a member of the love team. Now, the other thing that I do is um, not necessarily, I'm not going to go totally throughout the day, but I have a food plan. So with my food plan, I have my, my breakfast, um, I have my lunch, I have my dinner, I have my snacks. Um, I also, I have a food group. And so I practice, um, again, if I've made a decision to, uh, you know, turn my life over the care of God, for me, the care of God is the program of recovery, then that means every day I engage in the tools of recovery, because that's the program. Otherwise, how do you know I'm in the program? Now, I don't necessarily have to do all nine tools, especially considering that when I started, there were only five. But, you know, it's like definitely like I have a food plan. I follow my food plan. And just for people to know, I've had food plans that were very loose. When I was in the beginning, it was three meals, two snacks. And then I've had very structured uh, food plans. Uh, weighed and measured everything, which for me was really important because to go from eating anything I wanted whenever I wanted, I have to say that like the 10 years that I weighed and measured my food was so important because for the first time, there were boundaries around my food. For the first time, I learned what um, a serving was. I remember the first time I weighed out four ounces of red meat, I was floored. I was like, that's a serving. And the first time I weighed out like half a cup of rice. I mean, so I, I've definitely done that. Um, now I have a kind of, I don't weigh and measure my food, but to be honest, I feel comfortable doing that because I know what servings look like. I will say that I weigh and measure my nuts because peanut, you know, my mixed nuts, it's good that I keep those weighed and measured. Um, So I have a food plan and then I report my food. Uh, I have um, meetings that I go to, you know, I came into the room and I was told three for maintenance, four for recovery. Um, and that means that, you know, if I really, if I want to keep progressing, then, um, it's four meetings a week, uh, three meetings a week minimum will, you know, keep my recovery stable, but I'm, you know, it's not that great. Also, just so you know, I'm also in multiple programs. So that's, you know, four meetings for me of all of my, my meetings combined. Two of those have to be OA. Because if I'm not abstinent, I, abstinent, I don't have anything else. Uh, the other thing that I do every day is I check in with my sponsor. Um, I send my sponsor a check-in. Uh, the other thing that I do, so meetings, um, checking in, connecting to my sponsor. I have uh, people in my fellowship that I connect with uh, live. Um, and, uh, I know in OA, there's lots of texting. I'm, I'm on a lot of text groups. Um, but I also have my OA, uh, my inner tribe of OA where we'll talk on the phone. Um, I'm a big believer that at least once a week, you should be talking live to someone. And that's actually, I think that's incredibly lenient. When I first started, it was three calls a day. 
and you only had the choice of live. I mean, there was no, you know what I mean? So I think now it's gotten very gracious with different lifestyles. And I think a lot of that has to do with so many people in the rooms are introverts. And then also there's just a um, much more demand on our time and attention than there has ever been historically with the advent of um, smartphones. Uh, and then let's see, I'm always, I always have a service position. Um, I'm always doing service. I have sponsees. Uh, so every day I'm an engaging in a behavior that demonstrates that I have taken the third step. Um, I'm not really sure where else I want to go from this. I kind of would like to maybe open it up to more, um, since this is the last hour, uh, to any questions, if anyone has any questions, um, or any particulars around actually like how to, uh, work a program or what it means to work a program. Oh, I'm also, I will say, of, of course, I forgot that I'm, I'm always working a step. So as soon as I finish step 12, I'm back on step one. And because I'm always working a step, um, now there's not a lot of time pressure on how long it takes me to do a step because now life actually is where my step work really sort of where the, what do they call it? Where the rubber meets the road. Um, so in the beginning I had very formal step works that I had to do every week. You know, this assignment was due week to week to week to week to week. And then once I sort of took care of that, now my step works, are, it's much more of a graduate level where um, I'm working a step and then my sponsor and I will talk about how, oh, isn't it interesting how my life, these things are coming into my life because I'm working on this issue or these things, you know, it's more fluid and it's much more co-creative with the experiences that I'm having. And then we'll sort of move on to like whatever the next step is. It's much, uh, it's much more fluid and much less rigid, but it's definitely, it just keeps going. And we just finished, like I finished going through the traditions again. So that was really um, timely and important. So I'm just trying to think if there's anything about made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understood God. Well, I think that I can certainly before, um, I don't see anyone with any questions. So, um, I think that what I can do is Well, my concept of, of God certainly has shifted and changed. You know, um, when I came in, oh, Carol, great. Let me finish this and then I'll call on you. Um, you know, when I, when I came in, I didn't have a concept of God. And so let me just speak to this for a second because, um, I, I came in the rooms and here's, here's a very common mistake that um, some newcomers make, and it's not all newcomers, I just know I'm not the only one, is that I come into the rooms and people start talking about like um, the promises and turning my life over to God. And back in the day, in the 90s, a lot of times that people would, when they would speak, when these old timers would speak, they would say, my life was shite, I did the steps, my life is amazing, I got everything I wanted. Um, you know, my life was shite. I made the, it took the third step, you know, did all the work. And now my life is amazing. I've got the wife, the job, the car, everything. Now, as a newcomer, what I heard was, okay, I'm in a lot of pain. If I do these, these steps, if I turn my will and my life over to this God that I'm supposed to sort of come up with, which could be a doorknob, which made no sense to me. But if I do this thing and if I believe in some sort of God, which I got to write about and decide, then my life is going to have, I'm going to have this and I'm going to have this and I'm going to have the job and I'm going to have, and that's, that's what I believed because that's what was at the time really being sold. You know, um, and and so basically what people didn't realize is that they were selling a Santa Claus God. If you behave, if you turn your will and your life over, 
you go to meetings, you do all this step work, then you will get the job, the partner, the kids, the whatever, you will get the promised land. And so when at 13 years, I had a personal crisis hit, and you know, it could be for any of us. For me, it was something really personal, but it could have been a divorce. It could have been a serious illness. It could have been whatever. The point is, is that at 13 years, I was like, um, I, I can't, I felt, I felt that I had been gypped. I felt that I had been lied to because I expected after doing all of that work to have an amazing life. And instead I had this horrible tragedy happen to me. So my con, so what that did though, in the very beautiful way is it had me really understand what a higher power was, what the program really offered me, um, what it meant to have a life beyond my wildest dreams. And in that way, my concept of a higher power really did shift and change. So with that, um, I'm going to just go ahead and end that and turn it over to questions. So if you have any questions for me, I'd like this to be a, a question. So if you have a question or anything, please let me know. So Carol, you've been very patient. Um, thank you, Nicole. And I, your share was very powerful. Thank you. And I'd like to thank uh, Stacy and um, I'm sorry, just forgot Megan, Megan. Too, for their shares. They were all very helpful. Um, so my question is about your working the steps on a continually revolving basis. Yeah. Do you, and I'd like, do you pin that down? Can you pin that down a little bit better? Do you, do you like focus on a, on an issue and take that issue through the steps? Yeah, I can speak to that. So uh, in the beginning, I had to do a very formal process through the steps. Um, every step, there were a lot of, um, uh, so, okay, so I'm going to also use this to answer Peggy's question, which uh, define what you mean to work the steps. Okay, so when I first came in the rooms, uh, working the steps was doing the, the workbook. So, and again, I came in in 98, and so I did the workbook, and for me, and and just so you know, like, I had a sponsor sort of in name only. I was very resistant to... You know, I came in and I surrendered to the degree that I could surrender. And so I, um, you know, I did the workbook and I answered the questions because I'm a good girl and a good student. And that for me was sort of working the steps. The thing that I did right was I certainly made an effort. I certainly told the truth in my writing. And, um, and there were a lot of people on my amends list that I was not willing to make amends to because they had hurt me a lot more than I thought I had ever hurt them. So that was my first pass through the steps. It was, I had a sponsor that was very unstructured and very like, yeah, just do this, just do this. And then I hit that relapse in 2006 and I got a what we call often in the rooms a scary sponsor um and that's one that it's like we had to meet every Sunday um every week I had homework assignments for every step there were about five or ten questions that I had to answer um and so each step I started to because I was willing to do more and show up more every step um gave me greater benefits. And then it made me want to keep doing the steps. So like all of the writing and clarity that I got around step one made me want to do step two. Same thing. The step four that I did uh, in that relapse was uh, the big book, Joe and Charlie worksheets, you know? Um, so instead of doing the OA workbook where I just like I had, and that was revelatory for me, like doing the four step that way. So very, very structured. After that, I actually moved up to here to Portland, Oregon, and I got a sponsor uh, who I love very much, who's my sponsor today. And 
you know, she's not, she's somewhere between my first sponsor, which was very loosey goosey and my drill sergeant, AA sponsor. She, she's a nice middle ground. She's like, she makes me, or she doesn't make me because she doesn't have to, you know what I mean? But she'll suggest some writing on that. She'll suggest, she'll say like, why don't you do some writing on that? Why don't you do whatever? So I am still working a step, but often it's exactly what you talked about. It's that I'm working a step around something more current that's happening in my life. So for example, um, you know, she'll say, oh, it sounds like you're in step one about that. You know what I mean about that issue or about whatever. And so she'll be like, why don't you do some step one writing on that? And then she'll, and then when I do, she's like, okay, Nicole, well, you know that it's now a two and a three on that. You know, are you willing to turn that um, over to God? Are you willing to whatever? And, and then we work from there. Then I'll do a step four on it. Then I, I will literally from step four, I'll share with her, but you're right. It's much more now specific to whatever is coming up into my life that's what I mean when I say it's much more grad school it's like we get much more into the area of my life instead of a general sweep of my life okay so um does that Carol answer your question I couldn't hear you is that a yes okay all right awesome thank you okay uh, Nancy. My name is Nancy Beecham, compulsive over eight hundred pounder. Um, sponsees, thank you for your share. But sponsor, I want to tell you, for me, you knocked it out of the ballpark, and I can listen to you for hours. Um, I have a question, but first, I just wanted to say that after forty-four years of abstaining and having a food plan, all my dreams are true, and I am quiet and happy, joyous and free a lot of the time. But for me, I had to change what I thought was good. I had to change what I thought I should have because there's nothing that's anything like what I thought my life should be like. It's the guy life now that I found out God wanted for me. And in accepting that, yeah, everything is fine. But what I wanted to ask for my question was, could you kind of share with us since you first started and having this tremendous background of sobriety, you know, of people with sobriety feeding you the steps, have you changed how you approach the holidays and your relationship with food and, and like where you go and what you do and how you protect yourself? And was there a time when you brought somebody with you if you had to go somewhere or you actually just spent the day going to a meeting or, you know, and, and did things change or they gradually gotten a lot easier? Would you just go into a little bit of that? Thank you. Uh, yes. Thank you, Nancy. Um, okay. So approaching the holidays and then Carolyn, I do see your hand. So uh, thank you for bringing that up because uh, I did have a plan of action. So um, my brain has like three responses. So just hold on a sec. So first I want to address um, going into the holidays. I did learn. Now I'm a sugar addict. Sugar's off the table. There's no, it's to me, sugar is like alcohol. There's no gray area. There's no, it's just zero. So in the beginning, in the, the very first time I tried to do Thanksgiving with no dessert, um, what I hit was a level of feeling very deprived. So there I go. And I did really well um, during the meal. And then, as we all know, and, it, you know, I, there's 15, 20 people there. Everyone pulls out the pies. And, the, and, and I made the mistake of not planning anything for myself. And so then what was happening is, is I'm surrounded with my family that I love. They're all ooing and aahing about all of these pies and I've got nothing. And so I really, it was uncomfortable. I felt deprived. And, and so it was not a good experience. And you know what? That's the thing I remember from that whole day. So that whole day we spent together, what I remember is me not um, feeling like I got a treat. So I learned, I did some research and I figured out 
what was a really good sugar-free, no sugar, you know, dessert for me that I brought. And for me, of course, it was a lot of, um, I could have dairy. And so it was a lot of really wonderful fruit, like fancy fruit, you know what I mean? With some cream, some half and half cream. And then uh, if you actually put it in the freezer, it makes it kind of really cool. And so I brought that. And then the next year, when everyone brought out their dessert, I got to have my dessert and it was wonderful. So I do want to caution people about thinking that you can go to a feast, you know, a celebratory feast and just be in deprivation the whole time. So um, it doesn't have to be food related. Uh, I have another friend who brings bubbly water. I also like to bring uh, chai tea. You know what I mean? Uh, so again, like when other people are having their special foods, I get to have something special too that is completely within my abstinence. Um, so one of the other things that I did in the beginning, uh, my family is really separated now. And so uh, it's it's not really, um, well, I'll get to that. But in the beginning, when I was going to these you know, family events, Thanksgiving, whatever. Uh, I did, I did have one year where I brought my scale. Um, I let my, um, my sister, uh, my BS, my best friend's sister, I, I, who's not in the program, but understood. I said, you know, cause she was going to be there. So of course, everyone in the rooms, I let know ahead of time what my commitment was. And then with my sister, I was like, I'm really going to need your help because I definitely was one, one of those families where basically, you know, you just started eating as soon as you hit the ground. I mean, it was just like, the snacks were out, the whatever, and, you know, let alone the turkey and stuff like that. So for me, um, and it was also really hard because I also came from some of a, a traditional fa family where it's like the men um, were in the living room watching football. Um, it was open house. So it's like, but they were all on the couch watching football and the women were all on the kitchen table, you know, behind the couch playing cards with chips and whatever. <laughs> I mean, it was just so, but the thing is, is that I had to ask my family for help. I really did. And I, you don't have to tell them that you're in a 12 step program. You can just say, I'm really trying to be good. And, and here's the thing. They're going to tell you like, Oh, it's just a holiday, whatever. And you know, just see if you can find an ally. And if you don't have an ally in, in your family, then I've definitely had I always did. So I was very lucky like that, but I've had sponsees who didn't. And I was like, say that you got to leave the room, go to the bathroom, get on your hands and knees, do a prayer, text someone. And then also just remember that the other name for Thanksgiving is Thursday. I mean, it's still just another day. And I promise you that if you work your tools and work the program, you know, that you'll start to focus on, on the joy of the day and and not the food and and i'm going to take a risk and say you know if thanksgiving is not a joyful thing for you do you really need to go um you know i mean we're adults now and you get to make these kinds of choices so i hope that i talked about working the steps so basically really quickly i see carolyn um when I say, I hope I've kind of captured what I mean by every day I'm working the steps, which means every day I do my third step prayer, which means that I have admitted step one and step two. Like just by doing the prayer means that I admit that I am powerless over food and my life is not what I want it to be despite my best efforts. Um, and then, you know, I believe in a power greater than myself, which is the program and the process of recovery, which includes all of the tools of recovery, all the slogans and suggestions, you know, that have been vetted by my sponsor, because sometimes there's stuff out there that just doesn't work for me. Like I have a, a, a fellow in the rooms who can't do any restricting of any kind, any weighing and measuring any like red light foods at all, because she has such an anorexic background. So, you know, again, like work with your sponsor to find something that works for you, because 
the shape of our disease can be very different depending on that blend of compulsive eating, compulsive food behaviors, restricting, binging, purging, over-exercising, you know, stuff like that. Um, and then by doing the third step prayer. And then the other thing is because I've gone through the steps, now if I feel like I've made a mistake, I, I don't wait to work the steps on it. I'm like, oh, I think I made a mistake there. Um, you know, I'd like to make amends or apologize or just make a living amends. So if that didn't answer your uh, question, um, Peggy, could you please let Trish know? I'm going to take a minute to once again um, mention the seventh tradition. We have expenses from Zoom and our website, and all excess contributions go to the OA World Service. So any contributions that you make, pay for the Zoom license, pay for the website, pay for the extra storage that's required so that we can host the recordings, and then all money after that go straight to world service. So um, anyway, Carolyn. Um, hi, this is Carolyn. I'm a compulsive overeater. And I just wanted to say again, every time I shared, I said this, but Trish and everybody that set this up, it's just so fantastic. To me, I see God through, I struggle a lot with the steps, you know, the God thing. So I see God through people and you know, to me, that's God in the flesh. So it's been so fantastic when I hear you guys speakers. It's just like everyone, I'm like, okay, this is the best speaker I've heard on the rise. Oh, no, wait, wait, this one is the best speaker. No, really, this is the best speaker ever. So um, I just want to say it's absolutely fantastic. Because for me, I'm not very organized. And so to me, it's just like putting together little pieces and little, little, I don't know, things are falling into place as time goes on, mostly, uh, I think mostly from listening to people and absorbing what they say. But um, my question for Nicole was, um, I, okay, after your, after your 13 years, you had a certain concept of God, and then you had <clears throat> a crisis, and then you said your concept of the higher power changed. So I guess somehow I mixed, I, I was listening to everything you said, but I'm just, uh, if you could say again what that was, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So thank you. I'll try to keep this brief because I want Wendy to have a chance to ask her question. And then I, I do think we'll be out of time. So I came in uh, an agnostic and, uh, and then, you know, there's 12 steps saying, you know, you know, come up with a higher power. I had to do, you know, writing on it. And so I was like, okay, you know, let me try this God thing. And um, and then, uh, and so without realizing what I was doing, I was creating for myself a God. It wasn't an old man in a sky type thing, but it was a God that I thought if I have this relationship with God, and if I'm really good, and if I do all these things that I'm supposed to do, then God will give me all of these promises. And so I believed in basically this, what they call the Santa Claus God. Like if I've been good all year, I'll get the rewards. And so I was going to meetings and dealing with causes and conditions outside the rooms. I'm a trauma survivor. So, you know, I was not able to fully show up for recovery without therapy. I had to do them in tandem um, because of the PTSD and, and, and all of that stuff. So what I didn't, I didn't realize that I was believing in that God until I had a personal tragedy happen to me at 13 years. I was like, and I, so I was 36 and it started, it started manifesting at, at age 34. So, and I came in at 23. So when I was expecting to meet the person of my dreams, get the job that was amazing, have the career that was amazing. Like I was expecting at 13 years to be the old timer who was telling their story and saying, I came in and my life was unmanageable and I didn't have this and I didn't have that. And then I surrendered and I am a Capricorn. I worked this program like a mofo. I mean, I overworked this program. So I was just like, I expected to now be a circuit speaker who would be like, 
And now I actually own my own home in San Francisco. I like have a career. I have whatever. And that didn't happen for me. What actually happened was I ended up, I had personal tragedy, which involved a major health crisis and being on disability for four months and and not being able to work. So not to mention, you know, the ending of a relationship where I was like, oh, this is the person I want to marry. So it was just this devastation. So that confronted my false belief around what was and not a higher power and what God can do and what God can't do. And for me, if anyone needs, you know, you can contact me privately, but I have to tell you a good way to think about how to get out of that concept of why do bad people, bad things happen to good people or whatever is really meditate on what it means to have free will and what that means. So from there, having like my house devastated, the only thing that was left for me that I had any faith in after that, while that was happening, was I still believed in going to meetings. I still believed in working the steps. I still believed in working with a sponsor. I still believed in carrying the message. And what I personally discovered was that that was enough of a higher power that created the promises in the program. That for me was like, oh, and then I really understood that like God's favorite instrument is people. And so I sort of got away from trying to define my concept of a higher power above and beyond the process of recovery. That again, what I realized that I could believe was true was that I believe in something beautiful. I believe in something mysterious and I believe in something divine, period. That's it. For me, that's as far as it goes. And then all of those things manifest and show themselves in the process of recovery. So I'll just focus on that and let go of everything else. So I'm going to finish that. So Wendy, go ahead and ask your question and I'll try and answer it really quick. I just wanted to know if you could post, you said how we could do the seventh tradition and I didn't, I went to the chat and I didn't see anything written down okay. because I'm not familiar with this meeting. Okay. Trish or Sherry, do you I want would to? Like to okay. Sherry will do that. Sherry will do that. Okay. So that's perfect. So that takes us to right on time. So um, let me start to do the closing. Uh, thank you to myself for being our speaker today. No, I'm kidding. Um, thank you to myself and Megan and Stacy uh, for being our speakers today. The opinions expressed here um, are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. Please remember our commitment to honor each other's anonymity. Take the stories, but leave the names behind. Please remember that OA Rises Gold is twofold. One goal is to provide speaker meetings and recordings to support OA members. The second goal is to financially support the World Service Office. Please give what you are able to show World Service how much we appreciate its work and to keep OA going strong. After a moment of silence, uh, I will uh, actually, Trish, I don't know it. Oh, Oh, you put it. Oh, good. Thank you. Okay. So after a moment of silence, we will close with uh, Roseanne's prayer, unity prayer, also known as the OA promise and the founders prayer. I will speak it out loud and invite those of you who wish to join me silently, which means you're muted. Uh, and you can find it in the chat. And Oh, and you can find the prayer in the chat. Trish just posted it. So I put my hand in yours, and together we can do what we could never do alone. No longer is there a sense of hopelessness. No longer must we each depend upon our own unsteady willpower. We are all together now, reaching out our hands for power and strength greater than ours. 
And as we join hands, we find love and understanding beyond our wildest dreams. Keep coming back. It works if you work it and you're worth it. Okay, so uh, I don't know this last line, Trish. Please join us for another wonderful share of experience, strength, and hope at our next speaker meeting on December 6th. And our topic will be? I can't remember, but I can tell you one thing. On December 20th, which is our one after that, Nancy from OALAIG will be joining us. Yay. Um, and yeah, she, she has a panel uh, lined up, a very, very diverse panel that represents all walks of life and all kinds of OA members. And uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but she brings a little bit of enthusiasm to our program. Yes. Okay, so I have it here. So Sunday, December 6th is steps 10, 11, and 12. Perfect. Thank you. All right. Thank you, everyone. Thanks you for calling. You need me to stay on? Thank you. Thank you. Nobody has to stay on. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Great to have you here. Thank you. Hi, Loretta. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) Thanks, Nicole. Have a great day. Hi, Kim. Bye, Kim. Bye. Hi, Kim. Hey, Loretta. It's good to see you. Thank you to everyone that shared and did service. Mm, Thanks, Ginger. Thank you, Ginger. Thank you for muting me and taking off my video for me when I needed to and I hadn't yet. (laughs) (laughs) And thanks for being gracious about it. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's fine, Trish. I was like, okay, I did something. I, you know, I know I was moving about. So, but it's, it's kind of funny. You, you were actually really awesome. Um, We've had a couple of people like accidentally forget their camera was on and go to the bathroom. (laughs) We're going to stop you. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I know. I wasn't You weren't like that. No, no, I know. I was just moving around, but uh, I thank you.